my good people, greetings. How are we? How we feeling? I know it's 24 hours after we've turned the clocks up, and I'm sure a lot of people have that daylight savings times blues, but guess what? There are longer days and hopefully warmer days coming in the very near future, especially here in the Northeast. But put that aside, let's talk about some sports. Lots to digest, lots to get into, and this is none other than the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For those getting a chance to listen to me for the very first time, I welcome you guys aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode 7, 27, 37, and now 57, I welcome you guys back. Tons to discuss here on a Monday, March the 11th in the year of our Lord 2019 as we approach the Ides of March. On the docket, we'll get into James Dolan and his latest news turn as far as what he had to say to a fan that was griping at him to quote-unquote sell the team. We'll also talk about the Yankees and what they may have to deal with as far as their pitching rotation is concerned, especially their ace starter, Luis Severino. We know he'll be on the shelf as they've announced Masahiro Tanaka, the opening day starter, which will be in 17 days. That's right. Two and a half weeks before the MLB season raises its curtain. I'll get into the latest and greatest in the NHL, NBA. We're a week away from March Madness, uh, eight days when you talk about those two playing games on Tuesday. But uh, there was a trade that happened over the weekend in the NFL. You may have heard of a guy named Antonio Brown. And a lot of NFL stuff will certainly be dominant here in the airwaves over the first, I don't know, 25 minutes or so. And for those who have listened to me, over the last few weeks, talk about the Antonio Brown saga. It has finally ended in Pittsburgh, but the aftermath has certainly begun. And the best way I'll describe it is this. Before I even get into my thoughts, feelings, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the Steelers have made the trade with the Oakland Raiders. They traded Antonio Brown for a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick of this year's draft. They do have 10 total draft picks coming up in the next, what is it, Seven weeks is when the draft uh, commences, which I think will be in Nashville this year. Now they're moving it all over the United States. So now we have a situation where the Steelers have finally parted ways with their disgruntled former All-Pro. And everybody throughout the NFL landscape pretty much laughing at the Steelers, saying that they got nothing in return. A.B. fleeced them. The Raiders fleeced them even more. And now the Steelers are left with a $21 million dead money cap space hit that they had to swallow because they had to part with this player. And now it feels as if the Raiders are going to be on the mountaintop of the offseason where the Steelers are going to be at the bottom, scraping the bottom of the barrel, considering that they lost two of their killer bees pretty much this past offseason, even though we know that Le'Veon Bell did not play last year. And then with a possible deal that was nixed on Friday by Buffalo, we kind of wonder... Was he going to be sent there, but then in a power move by Antonio Brown, stating that he didn't want to go to Buffalo as if he had some sort of Anthony Davis-type power, it certainly shifted the momentum of this story to know that the Steelers and their organization and their fans, I'm sure, are quite unhappy with what had taken place with this trade with Oakland, considering they had three number one picks. Now, of course, they had their own, which they weren't going to trade because it was in the top two or three. I forgot where they're listed right now, but... They also had the Bear pick from the Khalil Mack trade and the Cowboy pick from the Amari Cooper trade. So before we get into all this, all right, I had to preface just the last 72 hours as far as the deal is concerned, what was consummated, what was talked about, so on and so forth. And now let's get into the super nuts of this whole thing. The first thing I'm going to talk about is Kevin Colbert. He had stated that 
he was not going to trade his former All-Pro wide receiver for a bag of balls, despite the fact that Antonio Brown was doing everything possible to make it impossible for the Steelers to trade him. And I'm sure he knew what the money was going to mean towards the Steelers cap as far as his dead money is concerned. And for all the comments that he mentioned on social media, whether it was through his Instagram page, through Twitter, obviously that ESPN interview that he had with Jeff Darlington the week before down in Liberty City, all of that, certainly to do whatever it took to sabotage the Steelers and trying to find him a new home. The Steelers certainly had to, and in particular Kevin Colbert, my thing is that what was the process here as far as trying to get any type of decent return? And he said that he wasn't going to make a trade just for trade's sake. He knew that as difficult as it was going to be, he was going to try to get the best deal that was out there. He was going to try to get himself a guy or players, I should say, from this upcoming draft that would certainly probably make an impact. Can you get somebody in the third round this year or even any year for that matter? Quite possible. But when you're trading a guy who six years in a row had 100 catches, first time in NFL history, four-time All-Pro, we know the whole resume of Antonio Brown. So we certainly don't have to run down every little statistic just to get to this point. So for my thing with Kevin Colbert, to go back to him, the first thing I look at is what happened with the Buffalo deal? Was there a number one pick involved? Number two, did Antonio Brown have any say in him not going to Buffalo? Because some of the reports were was that he was not going to go there, he was not going to show up, whatever it may be, despite the fact that even if they were to give him a new deal, Buffalo was probably the last place he wanted to play. So that went out the window. So now my next question to Kevin Colbert, <clears throat> excuse me, is in talks with John Gruden and company, was a bear pick or the cowboy pick on the table, even if it was just that. And I get for the caliber player that you're getting for Antonio Brown, you want to get a one, a three, a five. You want to get as much as you can. I get that. But we know the histrionics and everything that I just detailed as far as what Antonio Brown did to his trade value, to his interviews, everything that was said, that you figured that, hey, if we could just somehow, some way get a number one pick back, we would just settle for that and then take it and run. Well, they didn't get that. They got a three and a five. They couldn't even get a two out of that deal. So it makes you think, Kevin Colbert, did you possibly get the best deal that was out there considering you had a couple of other suitors, whether it was the Tennessee Titans or the Washington Redskins? But we all know the Raiders, in a typical Raider-like fashion, made this move. And as of right now, they look smart because all they did was give up a third and a fifth-round pick. So they could jump to joy, you know, jump for joy and to the high heavens to say, hey, we stole this guy who's an all-pro player to go along with our offense in a position that they desperately need. And they could give Antonio Brown his new deal, where he's now the highest paid player in the league, three years of $54 million, $30 million of it guaranteed. So now as he laughs his way all the way to the bank and to Oakland, the Steelers are now left with this dead cap money hit, which they swallow for this year. And there's a great article by Bill Barnwell of ESPN. If you don't know why that there's all this money still left on the cap and you're probably saying to yourself, well, wait a second, if he's trading and has a new deal, why are the Steelers still left holding all this money, quote unquote, in this dead area where pretty much a tenth of their cap is taking place for a guy who's no longer here? Well, he articulates it very well, and I'm certainly not going to go through it. He published this article, I believe it was yesterday afternoon, so just type Bill Barnwell, Antonio Brown trade, and you'll definitely get the 
just of everything that's going on, not just with dead money in general, but dead money including in this deal and why the Steelers have to eat this for 2019. So now, Brown looks otherworldly, especially to the other players throughout the league, saying that A.B. strong-armed this deal out of Pittsburgh, even with all the shenanigans and tomfoolery over the last couple of weeks for all those things that I mentioned before. He gets his new deal. He gets his way out of Pittsburgh. He's smiling with his big, broad smile that he has with his new hairdo and his blonde mustache and making the Steelers look stupid. How did he pull this off? Well, let's just put it this way, people. There's five words and five key words that goes along with this. He went to the Raiders. The Raiders certainly aren't going to be in contention anytime soon, number one. Number two, he could have all the money that he wants, which is perfectly fine because as you see on his Instagram page, and I love Antonio Brown. Let me preface it by saying this. How could you not love a guy who's produced the way he has, a sixth-round pick, who certainly was an underdog pretty much his whole life, and now he got to the pinnacle of the NFL wide receiver mountain, and he deserves every penny he gets, absolutely. But as we know and as we've seen time and time again, whether it's the Facebook Live video and the post-game ceremony when they beat Kansas City before going to New England two years ago, all the stuff on the sideline, throwing helmets, the tantrum in week two against Kansas City, stuff that happened leading up to week 17, which we haven't heard the Steelers side of it, and I'm going to get to them in a minute. But all this, I'm sorry, the guy was not worth the headache. You could say, yes, he's going to be 31 years old, you're going to see some decline, and so on and so forth. You probably will, but we don't know. But the bottom line is, and underline it again, people, he went to the Raiders. The Raiders are known for making moves like this. And how do they usually pan out when it does happen? And I could go through the laundry list of players that have gone there. Right, whether they're talking Randy Moss, whether they're talking Warren Sapp, whether they're talking Richard Seymour. I mean, everybody. Oakland is like the destination for rejects, for malcontents, for or typical Raiders. When you think of the history of their franchise and we know that they're a cornerstone franchise of this league and I get that Raider Nation is going to be excited as they go into the last year in the Coliseum before they move to Vegas and I also understand that they had to have a star name attached to this team considering that they're going to be moving to Vegas on a team that has no stars I mean unless you're going to look at Gary and Conley their corner who's actually a very good player but still to me, by him going to the Raiders, I'm not going to call it football Siberia, but it's pretty much close to it. Is this team going to put them to the top of the AFC West? I doubt it. Because they got to get over the LA Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs in order for him to get to that mantle. And like I said, he could have all this money and his cars and the pools and the mansions and all that. And forget it, we haven't even talked about the off-the-field stuff. Him throwing stuff out of a balcony on a building down there in sunny isles beach in florida him driving 100 miles an hour in pittsburgh were all these things calculated for him to get out of steel town who knows i wouldn't put it past him considering but you know the old saying be careful what you wish for because you're gonna get it and right you may be cashing them checks and you may be adding more bling to your wrist and your neck and all that but guess what you're gonna be that much more further than the super bowl my guy than you'll ever believe. And if it's all about winning, then that was the worst place you could have gone to. You might as well have gone to Buffalo. 
Now, as far as the Steelers are concerned, how I look at it from this perspective, they had to get him off the team. They couldn't bring him back. If Colbert was only able to get a third and a fifth and the Raiders were the only team in town that were willing to trade for him, then you have to make the trade. I mean, what are you going to do? And I get that it's a lose-lose or you want to say it no-win situation considering that the dead cap money that I've said time and time again and you got a third and a fifth round pick in return where you know you could have gotten higher. So those are double whammies for a team that are looking to extend Ben Roethlisberger and obviously... They have just re-signed, which doesn't affect them today, but they re-signed Pouncey and Ramon Foster, which are two critical components there of that offensive line. And right, do the Steelers look bad here because they didn't get more than what they should have gotten for in a talent like Antonio Brown? Absolutely. And I'm not here to excuse them or to apologize for them by any means necessary. But again, you got to look at the guy that just had to be jettisoned. And unfortunately... You have to take what you can get. I mean, really, if they were able just to get one of their picks, whether it's the Bears or the Cowboys, I would have settled for that and ran with it. Third and the fifth, you wake up the next day and you see that? That was my first reaction. But now, guess what? Steeler fans and Steeler Nation, the circus is out of town. He's the Raiders' headache now. You don't have to worry about that. And part of the reason why this team was not successful the last two years, part of it's on the coach. Part of it is on Tomlin. And if you heard me last year, NFL preview, I talked about how this was a big year for Tomlin. And considering that the team was 5-2-1 and one after that great win in Baltimore and then they fizzled down the stretch, was a testament to him. But with the behavior from Le'Veon Bell the year before, and then obviously with Antonio Brown, they just couldn't deal with this another year. They couldn't. Knowing that this team's window is starting to go south because the quarterback's getting older, the offensive line, although stable, getting older. The defense, young, eh, still on the come up, but certainly not there yet. And it's going to be tough to replace both of those players in Brown and Bell. As a Steeler fan, nobody, I'm not certainly looking at it from a perspective of, oh yeah, good riddance, enjoy Oakland, have a great time. No, it's going to suck knowing that he's not going to be part of this team anymore. And for people who could say, oh, well, we got Juju, he'll be fine, well, yeah, they will be, but at the same time, that's still a lot of production that you're going to have to pick up from a guy who is, let's face it, top two, top three receiver in the league. And I understand that Colbert drafts and the Steelers draft wide receivers as if they're falling off of trees. Some have worked out, some haven't. But for the most part, they've been able to get receivers in here that you never heard of, and they've made a name for themselves. A lot of the Martavis Bryant's of the world. Although he was a second-round pick in Juju Smith-Schuster, nobody expected him to have the production he had in his first two years. Obviously, Brown was a sixth-round pick. Emmanuel Sanders has had a very good career, albeit in Denver, but still. So I'm not worried about it from that perspective. But the one thing I do put my concern in as far as from the Steelers' side of things is that now that the... Circus is left town. It's time to regroup. It's time to get focused. And hopefully, despite the fact that Brown had a lot of people's respect in that locker room, his work ethic, etc., but they don't have to deal with that sideshow anymore. 
This is a time for them, and I said this weeks ago, this is a time for them to rally around the troops to say, hey, we could do this without him. Just like they did it for the most part last year without Le'Veon Bell. Did it hurt not having him in the lineup? Absolutely. Did they miss making the playoffs without him in the lineup? Can't say that. Because they were still productive, but the Steelers imploded in those final stretches in some of those games. So that wasn't all on the running back position. But now the one thing that I would think Tomlin and even Ben to a certain degree, they're going to take the high road on this. I'd be surprised if they get drawn into any media fight with Antonio Brown. It's easy to curse him as he's on his way to Oakland and say nasty things. The last thing we heard from Roethlisberger was saying that I want him to be my teammate in 2019. And as we all know, Roethlisberger early on in his career had to fight off a lot of bad PR, some of it self-inflicted. But since then, he's been calculated, pretty much straight and narrow, and he knows not to go too left or too right. So I wouldn't expect that to change. And as far as Tomlin is concerned, Tomlin, obviously he's got some answering to do based on some of those comments, but I would think he's going to take the high road too. We're not going to worry about a player who's no longer here. All the best to him in Oakland. And if we see him somewhere down the road, we'll shake hands. And that's it. You just kind of wonder if you're Vegas, and the irony there, Vegas, since the Raiders will be there the year after next, what are the odds or the over-under of the honeymoon there with Antonio Brown and the Oakland Raiders? Week 7? Week 9? Week 11? And if you're wondering if Oakland's playing Pittsburgh next year, it's not going to be the case. The Steelers, their AFC West opponent will be the LA Chargers. And remember, they, did, they faced the NFC, or excuse me, the AFC West last year. So as far as facing them from a division standpoint, they're not going to see him for another two years. They may see him next year, depending on where they fall in the standings. But if the Steelers are going to be at the top of the AFC North and the Raiders are going to be at the bottom of the AFC West, chances are you're not going to see Antonio Brown face his former team even next year. So that's what you got, people. And... Last comments on this. I understand that the Steelers here, as early as it is in the free agency game and the draft hasn't even come up yet and everybody's going to look at the Steelers as losers today from this trade. But as I wrap this up, there was no way, if ands, buts, maybes about it, that he had to come back to this team. They, they couldn't with everything that had transpired. And although I don't like to trade from a standpoint of a third and a fifth, that's why Kevin Colbert, as I said about 10 minutes ago at the top, he has some questions to answer as far as what happened with the Buffalo deal and more importantly, what happened with trying to get one of those number one picks or even trying to get a two for that matter. But you know what? He's Oakland's problem now. That's Oakland's headache. We certainly don't have to worry about anything that AB does flying in on helicopters and showing up late to meetings, that's over with. Hopefully the Steelers can regroup, use this as fuel, and somehow, some way, get down to Miami next year where the Super Bowl's being played right outside of Antonio Brown's hometown and hopefully have an opportunity for their stairway to seven, their seventh Super Bowl trophy in the organization as Steelers fans can only hope and wish that would be the case. And the Steelers also made another deal, which kind of flew under the radar. Marcus Gilbert, their right tackle, was traded to Arizona for a fifth-round pick. 
Didn't play that much last year. Also saving some money on the cap. I understand the offensive line is critical. And not only that, but if you have to put your money towards Pouncey and Ramon Foster, you're going to do that. They had a couple other guys that filled in admirably for Gilbert last year as he was injured. So he'll be out in Arizona next year. As far as locally, the Jets made a trade with the Raiders, so they've certainly been active as well, trading uh, Caliche Osemele, which all these trades will certainly be official come Wednesday. That's when the league will raise the banner on the quote-unquote NFL season. So they get themselves a guard and also for a fifth-round pick, so the Jets certainly want to solidify that offensive line to keep Sam Donald upright in year two. The Giants also made a trade. Olivier Vernon goes to the Cleveland Browns for their right guard, Kevin Zeitler, and they also swap picks where the Giants will send the fourth-round pick for Cleveland's fifth round, so that was also a smart move. And the Giants are fascinating from this regard. What are they going to do with Eli here? We understand that they're going to have the sixth pick in the draft. A lot of people think, could it be Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback from Ohio State? But if that's going to be the case, why are you going to bring him in and still have Eli on the roster? When you know that Eli's going to be a lame duck there if somehow, some way, this season goes awry just like it did last year. And that will get to in the days and weeks to come. I don't know what's going to happen. I think Eli's going to stay on this team. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Ain't going to try to make a run at this thing. I would think bringing in that right guard to Zeitler is, is a reinforcement of the possibility that Eli's not going to go anywhere. And you have a lot of other stuff that's going to happen. It's going to come down the pike. Landon Collins, I'm sure he's going to find a new team as he wasn't franchised by the Giants. I know a lot of Giant fans probably look at that and say, hey, now we lose Vernon and Collins. Those were two of our best defensive players. But then again, you look at how they were last year and they certainly weren't anywhere near what they were supposed to be, especially Landon Collins, who was an all-pro two years ago. The Broncos trading for Case Keenum. So all that thought about Joe Flacco going to Denver where Case Keenum was perturbed, wondering, hey, I thought this was going to be my team, and rightfully so. So he gets traded to Washington, and we all know that situation with Alex Smith recuperating from the, recuperating, I should say, from the broken leg that he suffered last year against the Texans. So you're going to hear a lot of stuff shake down here in the next 48 hours or so. And obviously I had to start my rant with the trade, and that was a huge trade. I mean, what could you say? Huge trade in the, in the league. Not only that, but also is going to talk about the player movement. Kind of similar to, I mentioned AD before, Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. Because now you wonder if there's going to be other players out there that are going to try to strong arm their way to another team. And I understand the NBA and the NFL are two totally different beasts. But still, when you have an all-pro like this, you kind of wonder if the, he set the precedent for it. Remains to be seen if that's going to be the case, but something to look out for NFL owners in the weeks and years or months to come because this uh, sends shockwaves throughout the league, especially with a lot of the players. So imagine if you're a guy that's in the next uh, last year of a contract and you're going to start making demands. So just certainly keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, that's pretty much it for the NFL stuff. Uh, just kind of looking through to see. No, that's pretty much it. I'll uh, turn my attention to baseball. And we have the situation in the Bronx, or in this case in Tampa, with Luis Severino, 
who in his first outing had a sore right shoulder, was determined that it was rotator cuff inflammation. And it's weird because many years ago in the 70s and 80s, if you had a bad rotator cuff, that pretty much was a death sentence on your career. And for what it is right now, we don't know the full prognosis, but it certainly looks like he's not going to at least pitch the opening week of the season. As I said at the top, Masahiro Tanaka is going to take the ball in the opening day start, which is two weeks from this coming Thursday in the Bronx Yankee Stadium against the Orioles. And if you're a Yankee fan, I'm sure that's the last thing you wanted to hear as you get ready to start your season by having your ace pitcher who just signed that big contract on the shelf for who knows how long it is. And we know CC Sabathia is not starting the season because he's facing a suspension. So he's going to miss out the first week. In the grand scheme of things, as long as Severino is healthy at some point, and what I mean by at some point, hopefully in the near future, meaning if he's going to miss two starts or even miss the month of April, you can live with it. Because as we all know, the Yankee offense is lethal. And they could be able to hold the fort until Severino gets back. But now the other thing you got to worry about, or wonder about, I should say, who did the Yankees pick up off the scrap heap to kind of fill that rotation? There's a one Gio Gonzalez that's out there. Left-handed pitcher formerly of the Nationals. Of course, he pitched for the Brewers toward the end of the last year for their playoff run. I'm sure there's another guy or two that the Yankees could probably pluck from the free agent scrap heap to sign on just to fill his shoes and obviously there'd be big you know, shoes to fill, but at the same time, just in the means until he gets back. But I think the Yankees would perfectly be fine, barring him being out for months. And even then, you know, the Yankees, I'm sure they will do something to trade for a pitcher. Obviously it would be hard to do as a lot of the teams are shaping their rosters and getting ready for the start of the season. So you're not going to get that blockbuster deal, let's just say, if Severino's going to be out until the All-Star break. You know, that's not going to happen. But, you know, Brian Cashman, somehow, some way, he always has a rabbit that he pulls out of his hat or has a couple of aces up his sleeve. And then next thing you know, boom, a trade's made. And he certainly has the prospects to deliver a big-time pitcher to New York. So, we'll see. Still plenty of time between now and then. We'll see what the prognosis is. I know he went scheduled for an MRI. We don't know the full particulars, but uh, we know he's not going to pitch on opening day, and we'll certainly take our chance from there. The other sad news coming across on the other side of the town with the Mets is Tom Seaver. And Seaver, obviously I didn't see him in his heyday. I did see Seaver, though, August 21st, 1977. That was after the Midnight Massacre when he was traded June 15th of that year when he came back as a member of the Reds, Shea Stadium. I was there Sunday afternoon. It was Sunday. I'll never forget it. I was eight years old. But as far as Seaver heyday, 69, pretty much from his rookie season to the time he was traded. You know, I got to see some of his games on WOR. But again, when you're a little boy, even though you see his dominance, but right, you're certainly not going to digest it the way you would as you're a teenager and obviously an adult. But as we all know as Met fans, he is the franchise, the greatest player that the franchise has ever known. And to think that he has to retire from public life because he has dementia it just uh, goes to show you that Father Time, when he kicks in and when he wields his wand, no matter what age you may be, it uh, certainly is not a pretty sight. And in this case, 
He'll miss out on all the festivities where the Mets will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 1969 World Series team. It's also a shame because that ties into the whole situation with the statue for Tom Seaver, which should have been put up there in 2009 when they first opened City Field right outside of either home plate or to the right of left field, whatever it may be, to the entrance there, the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. Now there's been talks of a statue in the works. You kind of wonder if that happened after the fact, knowing that they found out the prognosis or they found out the news, I should say, of Seaver's condition. And then it's like, oh, now we got to accelerate this to kind of put it out there to give us some good PR. But as we know, who are they fooling? But it's typical Mets, typical Wilpon, that type of fashion, when this should have happened many moons ago, considering when they first opened the stadium, it was all about the ballpark looking like Ebbets Field, the Jackie Robinson Rotunda, no disrespect to the great Jackie Robinson, as we all know, but still, there were no mentions or no optics of any Met paraphernalia anywhere. The Great Wall of Flushing once upon a time, which has now been moved in, was certainly black and orange or whatever that go that charcoal and orange it wasn't blue and orange the stadium wasn't adorned in met colors as it is now obviously with a bunch of gripes from met fans and season ticket holders and, and the like but with that being said it's all about Seaver and his health and you only wish him the best and his family and it's just sad that pretty much the linchpin of that 69 team will not be present at City Field when they celebrate this, I believe it's at the end of June, June 28th through the 30th. So just some sad news coming from uh, Metcamp. And now we're just, like as I said before, 17 days away from opening day. Not much to, to really to discuss here. I know the Met first baseman situation, a lot of people looking at that. Dom Smith has had a very good spring as well as Peter Alonso as he hit that bomb over the monster down in Fort Myers. The, uh, what is it? I guess they call it the junior monster which a lot of people are wondering whether or not both of the guys will be up with the big club come the 28th. And then the Yankees, on the other hand, Brian Cashman coming out saying that they are not going to bring two first basemen on the team, meaning that either Greg Bird or Luke Voigt may start the season down in AAA, which to me is a mistake because I understand they're probably internally pulling for Greg Bird because they need a left-handed bat in that lineup as their right-handed dominant but this guy just came over here last year, hit 333 with 14 home runs in, in a month and a half. And he's had a good spring, and so is Bird for that matter. But still, you're going to send both of those guys down, or one of those guys who could certainly be major contributors to this team? Obviously, Casman knows his team more than I do, but that certainly would be a very unpopular move. And I would think a lot of people would be very upset if Voigt is going to be the odd man out here. I haven't taken the pulse of the Yankee fan to diagnose that, but I would think... If he's tearing it up at spring and he's become a fan favorite over the last six weeks of the season and certainly could, again, be a factor in this lineup, why not? But, of course, that's for the Yankees to deal with. And right now you're just getting towards March 28th. You just want to get there already. You've seen enough spring training stuff. Obviously, they still have some free agents out there, the Dallas Keuchels, and you wonder with the Yankees too. I didn't even think about Dallas Keuchel when I was talking about Gio Gonzalez because I'm thinking – they're probably going to look at somebody who's going to be more of a fourth, fifth starter to fill in Severino's shoes. You wonder if Keuchel could be part of that mix here, maybe on a one-year deal. So we'll certainly temper that and see where that goes. But you just want to get to the 28th at this point. You've seen some games. You've seen how players have performed. The big free agents already have signed in Machado and Harper, and now you just want to get to opening day. 
And here in the Northeast, as I'm looking out the window, it's actually beautiful out. 50-degree day. You're going to have 60-degree weather at the end of the week, although it's going to rain. What else is new, of course? But you only hope that the days of 30 degrees and snow and just the yuck and muck and disgustingness of winter just hopefully goes out like a lamb instead of leaving like a lion. Let's see, what do we have here? Uh, Let's get to James Dolan. Now, the Knicks fan who has suffered immensely this year, considering how bad the team has been, we understand it's not old David Fisdale's fault. But now you have this other deal with the owner. And there have been some rumblings about James Dolan, especially last month during the All-Star break where there were rumors of him possibly finding some suitors, or not finding, but entertaining some suitors on selling the team. Now, what would that encompass? Would it be the team? Would it be Madison Square Garden, Radio City Musical, or is the, the whole kit and caboodle, or is it just the team itself where he'll keep everything else and Cablevision, of course? Well, be that as it may, on Saturday at the end of the Kings-Knicks game, you had a fan that was heckling towards Dolan as he's leaving the arena saying, sell the team, and then he stops and he points to the guy and he says, you know, paraphrasing here, enjoy watching the rest of the games on TV. Now, it hasn't been determined whether or not that this guy has been banned for life at MSG, but if that's the case, that's a disgrace. And even though the guy came back, well, that's my opinion, and Dolan was right by saying, no, that's not an opinion, that's actually a statement. But you know what? If that hurt James Dolan, if that's, he took a shot to the testicular region, uh, suck it up, my guy. I mean, please. Don't you know that this fan base is sick and tired of losing, is sick and tired of everything that's transpired with this organization over the last 20 years, he had to show a little bit of restraint and a modicum of professionalism by just keeping his head down and just walking off. I could see if he came out and said, you know, Dolan, you're a bum, or Dolan this. And even if that was the case, whether he was cursing his father, or he was cursing his family, whatever, maybe his family is a little strong, but you get my point. If some guy's heckling saying, sell the team, just walk out of the arena. So no, he has to make a name for himself and make a, a headline by saying that enjoy the rest of the games on TV and having security usher him out of the building. And then the Garden released a statement, and not verbatim, of course, but released a statement that, yeah, security has the right to eject anybody for someone acting unruly. The guy, it's on video, and he just says, sell the team. He didn't say sell the effing team. He didn't say, Dolan, you're a loser. You should ship the team and you know, ship yourself out as well as the team. Whatever it is. He wasn't being unruly in the least. And he certainly didn't come across as being drunk or belligerent or anything like that. He happened to spot Dolan, and the first thing I'm sure that came to his mind was, hey, Dolan, sell the team. And that was it. So the guy's going to get punished for life because of saying three words? You know what? Based on that, Dolan should sell the team. Because if he can't handle the fans, he can't handle the scrutiny, and certainly the criticism, then you know what? He has to find something else to do. Go, let him go play in his band and travel the country, travel the world, and do that. Which would probably be better off, and the Nick fan could just say sayonara and hopefully get some people in the building that would care to put forth a championship team. Now, mind you, we understand we have them ready for free agency, and they have the worst record in the league right by, you know, at the moment with two games ahead of the Phoenix Suns. But as we all know, the, the three worst records in the league, they had the same amount 
or percentage points for the ping pong balls to get the number one pick. So just because they have the worst record in, in the league, unlike the old rules where they have 25%, uh-uh, not the same. So keep that in mind, Nick fans. But you know what? Dolan is just clueless. To a certain extent, he's even classless. Even how he handled the Oakley situation and all the other incidents that I'm certainly not going to go into. But you know what? Maybe he needs to look in the mirror and say, I think it's time. As far as the rest of the NBA is concerned, Celtics actually played better since the last time we were discussing how they were fizzling at the moment, just losing bad games, bad body language, etc. They had an enormous win at Golden State where they won by 33 points. Almost had to rub my eyes like 16 times in order to make sure that the score was right. 128-95 at Golden State. Gordon Hayward chalked it up to the long plane ride. I guess it brought the team together a little bit. They won a big game in Sacramento, which Hayward screwed up, but then at the same time was able to hit the buzzer beater. They went against the Lakers there on Saturday, and they stay in L.A. over the weekend. They play the Clippers tonight with the Clippers. Uh, what can I tell you? They trade Tobias Harris, who's their best player, and even though they're the eighth seed in the conference, but they're almost 10 games over five hundred. Goes to show you the type of job that Doc Rivers has done. The Brooklyn Nets here locally have won three in a row. They have a brutal... West Coast trip that they're about to embark on. They start at OKC on Wednesday, but it takes them all out West. Tough teams, tough games. You know, Utah's of the world. I think Sacramento's on that list, if I'm not mistaken. But just a tough road trip for them, especially for a young team, young coach, trying to get themselves into the postseason. The Lakers, as we have were last on the air, now LeBron's saying, hey, I kind of knew I was getting, you know, what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Does he really? And that's not to knock on LeBron, but I'm sure part of the reason for him going out there was thinking that he was going to get that sidekick, whether before the season in Paul George or during the season in Anthony Davis. And right now he's going to miss the playoffs and certainly not go anywhere near an NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. As far as the Finals are concerned, playoffs, obviously you got to go back to the second year in the league. So that's all the rage there as far as the NBA is concerned. What else do I have here? NHL. You know, last we talked about the Islanders. They won those two games against Ottawa. Lost to the Flyers there on Saturday. I know which, uh, Johnny Boychuk took a hit where, was it, Jacob Voracek got suspended two games. It was a dirty hit. I mean, there's no other way to call it. But now the Islanders have a tough schedule. And now they have Pittsburgh breathing down their necks. They want to get that two seed. I mean, it would be great to win the division. Capitals are on fire right now. They won seven in a row. And if you're the Islanders, you just have to somehow, someway tread water. You definitely want to get that at least two seed because you'll host a home playoff series. You won't be on the road. Obviously, if you win the division, you're straight. But you don't want to be a three seed. You certainly don't want to be a wild card because if you fall into the three seed in the division in the Metropolitan and then go ahead and somehow, some way fall down to a wild card, then you went from pretty much first place 10 days ago to now going on the road throughout the postseason. So the Islanders certainly have to pick up the slack here, certainly you know, turn things around, and all they have to do is they, I don't want to say they got to play 500. They just have to play well. 
You know, Flyers who have played well here over the last you know few weeks or so, you know, they've lost to them twice in a nine-day span. And both of those games, I might add, well, the game, well, one game was in Philadelphia, but this last game was at home. So, no, as a matter of fact, I take that back. That game was at home. So they lost both games to the Flyers at home because, remember, that was last Sunday after the Capitol loss preceding that was the Toronto win. So they lost that game at home, and then they lost this past Saturday out in the island. So the Islanders certainly have to right the ship and try to get this thing up and running to the point where they can attain first place, hopefully, and the caps cool off, or they just hang on to second place, and then right away they'll host the Penguins in the first round, which would be fascinating to say the least. And then to wrap up here with some college basketball, this is championship week officially. Big East comes to town starting Wednesday. Georgetown had a big win the other day against Marquette. Who knows if they get in the tournament? They're going to be on the bubble for sure. Let's see what they do in this uh, Big East tournament. Who knows how many teams come out of the Big East? A lot of people say four. Seton Hall could possibly do that too. That certainly remains to be seen. And then now, across the river with the Atlantic 10, which last year I believe the ACC was at the Barclays. I guess that back down in Greensboro. Who knows? Maybe a little the Zion hype. I don't know, but we'll get to Zion in a second. But with the here locally biggies in the Atlantic 10 in Brooklyn, now you'll start to get everything falling into place to lead up to Selection Sunday. Obviously, all the brackets will be put out there late Sunday night. Of course, next week we'll talk more about March Madness and everything that will encompass the next few weeks as it's just what it is, Madness. And everybody looks forward to that Thursday. I understand Tuesday, which will be next Tuesday night. You have the two playing games. I get that. But that's not the tournament. The tournament is 12 noon, Thursday. Everybody's glued to a computer or to a phone, a tablet, or even a TV to watch all the games that take place throughout the nation. And it is that's exactly what it is. It's just wall-to-wall basketball from 12 noon to a little after midnight. Both Thursday and Friday. It doesn't get any better than that. And I love it. Now, I understand I don't follow the college game like I once did. I mean, who does follow the game? You know, when you have players that are one and done and my team, Georgetown, please, they have had zero significance in the tournament. It's been 12 years since they reached a Final Four. But you still get into it. You still... Check out some of the storylines. You know who the big teams are. You try to find out who the sleepers are. You find who's going to have that Cinderella run to a regional final, even a final four, Sweet 16. That's what it's all about. And as far as Duke is concerned, you'll probably see Zion coming at some point this week. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. Depends on his health. I would think if he's 100%, they should just go full throttle. But you would think Coach K will probably ease him in a little bit, especially maybe in the first game as you get closer to the Conference final, I'm sure we'll get a lot more burn. But that's going to be the storyline there. All eyes are going to be on Duke this week, and especially of the production, not necessarily just the production. Of course, they want to see how well he's going to play, but just the health of Zion Williamson leading into the tournament because, as I've said weeks ago, that's going to be the focal point over these next three weeks. How far does Duke go? How much does Zion Williamson is a part of that, etc.? Just fascinating stuff here leading into March. So we'll break it all down there next week. 
brackets. I know last year I didn't really get through a bracket and all that because I just haven't had to. I'll be honest, people. The college basketball game does not do anything for me. Not like it once did. But you know what? I'll certainly get into it. I'll give you my final four. I'm not going to break down the bracket you know, game by game. I mean, I'm not going to get that crazy. But obviously I'll tell you who my sleepers will be. I'll get into it this week. Obviously, not much to go on. I mean, you of course, you got NBA, NHL, and whatever, baseball stuff. And, of course, all the football transactions. But still, I'll get into a lot of the basketball this week, or the college variety, and certainly you'll get my take here on the j podcast a week from today. And I think that pretty much uh, sums up everything that is on the docket. Again, for those who uh, listen for the first time, thank you very much. Really appreciate you taking the time to... Listen to what it is have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. Uh, if you did enjoy this program, please feel free to leave a rating, post a review on the podcast platform that you use. If it is Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Or if it's Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, please feel free to do so. Tell your friends, share with everybody. As I say, week in and week out, all that does is just increase the visibility of this program with so many others in the sports podcast universe. And in turn, with that visibility, it will just uh, hopefully increase the popularity of the program, generate more guests, trying to work behind the scenes to get some people on. I want to get some people on to talk about the Steelers. And I understand that's a little bit of a passion project of mine, but as we all know, it's just been fascinating for weeks on end. And I'm sure people are sick of it by now, but at the same time, I'd like to get an insider to get on to talk about, especially the Kevin Colbert stuff, what went on behind the scenes as far as them trying to get a uh, higher draft pick or higher, uh, you know, the number one pick from the Raiders as opposed to the three and five that they got. So uh, please, people, do that on all those platforms. You can follow me on my social media platforms, whether it's J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just the number on Twitter, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. That's an email address, but also the J Mills, the J Reels Podcast uh, Facebook page. You could go there as well. Once again, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com if you want to send an email any questions comments criticism praise please feel free to send that my way i'll be sure to answer you guys back also follow me at all those social media sites as i post quite a bit on that it's more so with the sports stuff on twitter as i'm trying to increase my uh, popularity there it was kind of late to the game on that so when you see just a pittance of followers you're gonna be like jay reels you gotta get with the twitter program well that's what happens when you're pretty much instagram You know, that's your number one platform. I don't even look at Twitter, but I have looked at it quite a bit since I've started this uh, podcast. So please feel free to go there and leave a comment, question, whatever it may be, as I continue to deliver a top-notch podcast, bringing you everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J. Rose Podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>